Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Mike, I see you wearing a very sexy hat. Where did you happen upon that hat? This is one of the best promotional gifts that I have ever gotten at a baseball stadium. And it was at the finest, I don't even know the name of the stadium, the Dayton Dragons. Yeah, I don't know what the stadium is either. Yeah, and this white hat that we got, I don't think that I've had a white hat ever. It's a dangerous one. Also Velcro back, classy. I like it. Oh, yeah. I mean, invented by NASA, so you know it's good. <laughs> Velcro. Yes, I, I was following what you meant, but well said, indeed. Yeah, big fan of these. So we were on a baseball tour this weekend. We we saw each other, actually, less than 24 hours ago. Yeah, and for less than 24 hours. A little bit more than 24 hours. A little bit more than 24. And uh, as we were reflecting, we uh, we really packed in quite a few things. We did. We packed in three states. We packed in um, two ballparks. We ate quite a lot. We ate pretty well. There were a couple times where we where we looked at each other like, no, we're not going to. No, I can't eat. And then all of a sudden there's food in front of us and it was just gone. We didn't eat well. <laughs> don't don't oh, say no, that. No, we, no, no. We no, ate. No. We ate. We ate foods. All right, but let's let's get to the, the meat and potatoes here. We actually watched an episode of Game of Thrones together live. I think that's the first one. Yeah, that that is the first one. We have watched Game of Thrones episodes together, but far fewer than you would expect. Yeah, no, we haven't. I mean, we have watched hundreds of hours of Star Wars together. Yeah, and James Bond, and <laughs> I mean, in various states. Considering how in various states, but considering how much we've discussed Game of Thrones over the past seven years, we really haven't watched a lot together. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was a really touching and poignant moment. Should I crack a beer right now? Then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had to get opened at some point. What if it never left the poignant moment? <laughs> we are in the in the middle of the episode. All of a sudden, there's going to be another Stark Stark reunion. Stark sisters are going to get together, see each other, have a little comment. And all of a sudden, somebody cracks a beer. I look over, and I see Mike just kind of like look up in this light like, oh, other people are here and might not have, uh, they might have actually been paying attention to that. I've already zoned out. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was far too much dialogue there. <laughs> I think we felt that there we felt that there was going to be a battle, and they didn't disappoint. And I didn't want to have to open my beard during the battle. I want to be focused. Yeah, no, exactly. Not, I mean, not when the uh, the sound is just exploding out of your ears, and dragons are destroying. That was awesome. That was awesome. Really, don't know what to think about the the dragon developments here. We, uh, like which one? The dragons destroy 
armed forces or that dragons can get shot in the face with a massive crossbow. Some of column A, some of column B. I mean, he, Drogon was definitely not flying anywhere right after that, taking that bolt to the shoulder. Do you think that was surprise or do you think that was like major injury? We're going to, is he going to go on the DL? I mean, I don't know. Like he's obviously the fire breathing aspect is not a problem for him still. But, uh, you know, at least that's not in the shoulder. Tommy J like uh cinder guard. I mean, we didn't catch him live. We, uh, but, but we both, we both knew as soon as we read that he threw a spear in the Lannister army, we were both like, oh yeah. And the screen cap, the screen cap makes perfect sense. Too obvious, too obviously done. What episode do we see the Night King again? Or is he gone this year? Next episode, we get a sneak, sneak preview. Oh, we we saw in the sneak preview that we're gonna get a sneak preview of the Night King. Did we actually see the Night King in it? We we saw well, we saw the army of the dead. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna say we will see the Night King. All right, next week, Night King episode five. I'll. Uh, I understand that you're all in on intrigue episode. I think you're wrong. I think we're seeing action. Wait, so, like, the Light of the Seven scene, would that be intrigue or action? Because I'm thinking, like, something like that. That's what you're calling intrigue? I would call that action. Well, my friend, we're in an impasse here on how to classify things in Game of Thrones. <laughs> All right. This week on the pod, Eric is going to hit up the growth charts again. He's got some ideas on how to build this out a little further with some running averages. Interesting stuff. And then I'm going to talk about and introduce a new scraping tool that I developed and that is publicly available and a first application. Take it away, Eric. Last week, you, Michael, dutifully pulled a Jora. I asked you about autocorrelation and you decided to indulge me like Jorah trying to get rid of his grayscale. Uh, not sure how I ended up being Danny T in my own analogy, but I'm okay with that after the week that she had. In, in that vein, I thought I'd go back to the mithril mines that are the growth chart work and address your question about the three-week rolling averages and the implied question about player trajectories. Um. MP, you remember when you put me on this Herculean task? Oh, I do. How do you feel about it? Uh, no, I mean, it It immediately made sense what needed to be done, but I've just been kind of struggling. It's accomplishable. It's a, it's a complicated, not complex problem. It's just trying to iterate through three-week periods, develop linear models, and then I think the harder part eventually will be um, right now I have it kind of graphically represented long term it might be good to see whether it's predictive hmm. over the next three weeks and actually get some um, you know metrics done there but all in good time my friend all in good time I will wait with bated breath absolutely you will um, as we mentioned last week it's very easy to develop a tool and get so impressed with the model and putting the model together <laughs> that we forget the foundation of modeling exercises. That modeling isn't about predicting an outcome, it's about developing a pathway to an outcome. We can't be too proud of the technological terror we've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of good 
modeling practices. Am I right, Mike? I am all about that as well. Although it is pretty awesome to watch those planets explode when you do the analysis. Now, the autocorrelation work that Mike did last week was great because it was essentially a reminder that even underlying trends may not be statistically significant. Said another way, even though there's a trend, it doesn't mean that it's not still a bit of noise. It's not still, it's not something that we should hang our hat on. I don't know, more platitudes and whatnot. The growth chart work needs some similar restraint. I think in this case, we must be wizards in remission uh, until we have to make new stretches, new conclusions. You know, I'm just going to say, hold our horses. So back to what that growth chart work was. I presented that work and the idea was that we are looking at the accumulation of stats and developing linear regression models for any player, for any stat. The point of putting the linear regression models together for any player, for any stat, is that it is reducing the dimensionality of the data set, simplifying it, helping to give a trajectory of what the stat line is, helps you to understand the accumulation of stats week over week, etc. The problem is that what I was doing was looking at across the entire season. Um, that doesn't take into account the trajectory of stat accrual over a smaller period. It um, kind of overcorrects anomalies and um, it doesn't give you whether the the trend of the trend is trending upwards or downwards. <laughs> wow, that is... Just call it second derivatives, man. We're mathematicians here. Ooh, second derivatives. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's like the R squared versus R uh, statistics. Ooh, well said. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, lo ho ho, my dear readers, I decided to put together a tool that would graph out the three-week running averages. So, the not running averages, the um, three-week running linear regression models across the seasons. That gives you a trajectory. I've mapped it out. Unfortunately, it took me very little time to figure this out, but it took me a long time to figure out how to actually get the graphs to work so you actually see it. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering... The idea is that you're kind of looking at the points tangent to what the, the line is doing by creating these linear regression models. And to actually see that, you need to actually extend it out a couple of weeks on either end. Mm. So you have a three-week running average. If you have the three weeks that you're creating a linear model for, but then you're actually plotting it over the two weeks on either end of it so that you can actually like see what the what the trend is. So Mike, what I did was I put together two sets of graphs, one for outfielders and runs and one for shortstops and runs. And um you've got regular growth chart, so it's you know across the last 17 weeks now we we have in the fantasy world. First blush, what are you seeing here? I'm seeing that it's really easy to pick up this really helps me pick up the inflection points for going for second derivatives here. Ooh, that's good. Inflection point. This is helping me see where there's where there's a clear change in the trend line. Yes. And then it's yes. helping me figure out whether that change is real and significant or whether it doesn't actually tell us anything. And I think with the guys that you've selected here, you have a really good mixture of guys where there's there's non-believable scatter and then guys where you can see a clear mm -hmm. inflection point. So the Andrew McCutcheon, I would argue, clear inflection point. I mean, everyone at the beginning of the year was was pining for the Andrew McCutcheon of 
your and uh yeah the amount of dirt that was thrown on his grave was substantial at the beginning of the season i would agree with that but he is he's clearly figured something out and uh you would argue that Whit Merrifield is uh, on just an infinitely upward trajectory. I think, based on looking at this, he's got he's got no inflection points, just a nice smooth bend. His second derivative is constantly increasing here. Just continual upward trend to infinity and beyond. The only thing that heartens me about this is that his if you if you actually look at his overall numbers, they're not that crazy so there there's a sustainable pace um he only has what yeah just over 50 runs overall right now which keeps which does not put him on the leaderboard really but he's got the consistent production that you want for a mid-season waiver wire pickup right but he is four weeks behind everybody else because he didn't get called up but even four weeks behind i mean we can you've you've given us the option to be able to do that on this chart. I mean, look at the next guy that you have, Christian Yelich. If you go back to the, you know, you go to the fourth to last dot on there, he's still at 60. All right, so we're kind of patting ourselves on the back with the outfielders analysis here, but I did want to take a look at the shortstops because it's been a it's been a weird wacky position this year. So, in this one, I decided to graph Trevor Story last year's stalwart until he got hurt and then another stalwart left from last year Xander Bogarts and then two players who are on the up this year Andrelton Simmons and Marwin Gonzalez now these graphs are pretty interesting and I'm actually going to start with the last one Xander Bogarts is not trending in the right direction for runs production and that is very very clear with this graph it, it looks more dire when you know we've we've when we looked at these previously, we sort of eyeballed line fits mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end. But what you see yep. with the rolling average is that, ooh, that line fit is smoothly rolling here into a slowdown. Smoothly rolling downwards. But what, what I find interesting about this is that most of the other, the other guys that you've chosen have slowdowns of their own as well on some level. Yep, exactly. So that was that was what I wanted to get at. Was like this is part of the position is we're not talking about. I mean, outfielders, top outfielders are going to be top run producers, but yep. even top shortstop run producers are not. I mean, not going to be amazing. Like Andrelton Simmons has been on a tear lately. I mean, you can see that with this. What's it's great. It's very easy to see where a player's inflection points are because the. Um, the ends of the linear regression models end up being above the right. actual like trend line of, of the stats. And that's exactly where Andrelton Simmons has been. Yeah, that's not a good thing. <laughs> that's not a good thing? No, I don't I don't think so, because that worries me about sustainability. Oh, well that that as well. Right. I mean that's what that's part of why I was looking at what Maryfield was that it is like all with it that he's just so gradually increasing his run production to and from a kind of someone who wasn't even playing in baseball at the major league level to a elite producer i mean it's a great um, maturation whereas like even marwin gonzalez has had fits and starts even though he's been you know one of the best fantasy players this year yeah he really has been 
So what what's your what's your takeaway on Andrewson Simmons? I think it was it was it was sort of what you were getting at, which is like this is really awesome, but not sustainable. Especially now that Mike Trout is back and is going to change up yes. what that lineup does, how the team works. I think that he's going to start to cool down. You can even start to see that cool down a little bit. I think he's going to kind of normalize here a little bit. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. You know, I had these because I was also kind of trying to get the some of the sample, not a sample, but um, some of the different styles of these lines. Like Trevor's story has been all over the map this year on his runs production. He was boom and bust last year, too. It's just easy to forget because of the storylines that surround him. Right. And the booms and the busts were like, could be within a week. Yes. Period. So within a three week rolling average, you're kind of, it kind of looked like a steady, steady increase, but this is now more cluster luck kind of, you see like that really great start and then a really, really bad cool down. But at the same time, I'm kind of heartened because I think this is the kind of erratic play for a sophomore could lead to, um, well, typically erratic play as a sophomore means that they're going to decide on one one side or the other <laughs> of that production. Either they can go the way of Jason Hayward. Oof. Oh, come on. <laughs> or they can go the way of Adam Jones. I'll take that. That's fair. I don't know why I picked those two players other than some of my favorite outfielders. All right. Well, so I like this because we're slowly eking towards um, and numbers. We're looking at this graphically. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful to see this and, and get an even better sense of the trends. And now we've kind of disaggregated those trends line, trend lines. And, you know, we're, we're really figuring out how to look at this. So hopefully by next year, when I'm actually in contention, I can actually use this information. <laughs> That's a lot of presumption there, but I'll allow it. For an outtake this week, a little good-natured ribbing ends in a derisive new nickname for me. Pow, pow, pow. Yeah, exactly. Is that the sound that uh, it makes when the planet's destroyed? Pow, pow. Well, I mean, wouldn't you tell me that they, it makes no sound? I would absolutely tell you that. Okay. Thank you. For, thank you for that, physics boy. This week, I actually am able to put together a few of the things that I've been dancing around the past couple weeks and roll in a big new idea that we really haven't touched on too much. And that is the concept of looking at other seasons of data. What? Do they exist? I know. It's interesting. I was thinking about this as I was putting this together. We've really not touched any career numbers or career trajectories of anybody no no we don't it wasn't that i was necessarily obsessed with that idea in the first place but the scraping tool that i finished ostensibly and is on github to look at individual players on fan graphs made it easy to extract several years worth of data for individual players and see what's happening with them nice so i was pretty happy about that Um, And so what I decided to do this week was let this loose first on three true outcomes ratios over time for pitchers. My idea was that there's a peak in age and I wanted to try and suss out 
if we could determine where that was. So I wanted to try and I thought that there would be a peak mm-hmm. and I thought that we could use if there wasn't a peak that there would be a characteristic shape over the course of our career for different players. Yeah, I mean Bill James would say that it's 27 years old what is a peak and there's been a lot of conversation about whether that's moving in either direction. So yeah, no, I mean it's totally fair. I'm interested to see what you figured out. Yeah, well what I figured out is that it's if there's a characteristic curve for across all players, it's low level but for individual players it's really interesting to look at the the slope of this uh so what i decided to do because it's hard to look at more than um more than four or five guys at once to compare was i decided to look at two two pitching staffs or we're going to be generous with what we call a pitching staff here the first one is (laughs) what i would call a mixture (laughs) of A mixture of Boston Red Sox pitchers over the years. All right. Here are the four that I picked. John Lester, Rick Porcello, John Lackey, Clay Buchholz. I was thinking that these guys were all going to have wildly different career trajectories is why I chose to pick them. Mm-hmm. What do you think of their career trajectories? Let's uh, let's talk about home K's per nine first. I was thinking that this would show the strongest. Yeah, it's interesting that they all have a a nice trajectory up and then it looks like well except for clay buckholtz who started up and then was a fuck to be fair yeah as you so just so eloquently said he uh he the wheels really did come off of clay buckholtz's career yeah unfortunately um yeah but you do see the general trend line of everybody up around the eight towards the age of 30 everybody seems to be trending upward Really yeah. interestingly. But we do know that the K numbers are up across the league. So that that is true. So maybe we have to do some uh, accounting for that. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way for me to remove that. What I was intrigued by on a small scale here was Rick Porcello is still increasing. Despite the fact that mm-hmm. he is not, he's clearly not going to win the Cy Young this year. No. All of his peripherals <laughs> no here, way. with the exception of his home runs per nine are trending in the right direction. And so if we move to the next plot, all four of these guys, their walks per nine are moving in the opposite direction. They're all moving down over time, at least on some level. Yeah. With John Lester being the most pronounced. John Lester has halved his walks per nine over the past five years of his career. Yeah. And Rick Porcello has always been a control guy mm-hmm. and is but generally downward trend. Even Lackey, if you excuse his uh, 32nd year in the league, in the in this world i like having john lackey on here because it gives a nice long baseline yeah for all the flack that we give him old he's got a pretty consistent career yeah especially if you're looking at his um peripherals instead of his his major stats like he had a couple of unlucky years and he had a couple of lucky years which he got paid for yeah i mean hey go get paid buddy but uh, you can see the uptick in everybody's home runs that are happening this year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's every everyone is up. And Ever. so that kind of goes along with the, the Ks. More Ks, but more home runs. And I think the walks is, is what really shows that these are good pitchers right now. Yeah, so, so maybe we'll, we'll keep that in mind. But that's interesting that uh, maybe one of our first findings is that the walk trajectory could be a good way to suss out what's happening in guys' careers. All right, let's switch to another switch to another uh, staff here, the uh, the New York Mets. Hmm. 
These are some some Mets pitchers here. I picked Steven Matz, Matt Harvey, Jake DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard. Now, I like them because I always forget that Jake DeGrom is old. I always forget that he didn't start in the league until... He's much older. He's much our age. later. Yeah. So I, I always forget that he didn't start in the league too much later. I forget that Matt Harvey is actually younger than him. And I forget that Noah, Sin- Noah Syndergaard is just young. He's super young. Yeah, Steven Matz is a little bit older than, than you expect. You'd expect those to be swapped. Yeah. Not a lot of data to go off of. Matt Harvey's the only one that has a real trajectory. Maybe Jake DeGrom. You know, four good seasons out of him so far. Yeah. But he's going the wrong direction. and Honestly, all of these pitchers are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why I was laughing when you called them a staff. Don't, don't tell our best friend Mets fan. <laughs> or our league. Ooh, this is not looking good. I um, I'm worried. I'm worried about the Mets here. After looking at this, I thought we were gonna get, um, we we're gonna see see some good numbers. Overall numbers pretty decent. Um, Noah Syndergaard has has good numbers, but not even clearly trending in the right direction yet. This could easily come back around in a bad no. way. And Matt Harvey is not coming around. No, I think he's that's pretty clear. He is not coming around. I think I think it might be it might be a little too late. I mean, as we remember now that he's 28, uh, if you get you know, we're getting this big uptick, I I'm you know we look at the the Red Sox who their the Red Sox plot skews a little bit older. If we want to use any of them as a guide, it's uh, it's not going to get better in here. Buckholtz. I mean, if you want to if you want to use Buckholtz as your guide, it's definitely not going to get better. If you want to use John Lester, you're not going to do you're not going to drastically improve between 28 and 30. Right. This is, yeah, this is not the time that you're going to have drastic changes yeah. in your career. All right. Last mixture. Oh, guys. Wanted to take a look at this. Last mixture, guys. Not a staff even. Three closers. Three elite closers. Curious to see if there were going to be any trends here. Picked Araldis Chapman, Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen. Any of these plots jump out to you? That K per nine uh, is sort of interesting how. Wow, those numbers are so high yeah. <laughs> compared to the the starting pitchers. But yeah, I was going to say, wow. I mean, it's crazy how much Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen have lost their stuff over the last years. Yep. Go, going from 16 <laughs> K per nine to, you know, a remedial, what, 12 and a half? Yeah. I mean, that's it is it is funny. It's funny for us to laugh at that, but you can see why they made it as closers. They really stamped their ticket with that, with those 16 years. And the same thing is, to some extent, is true for Araldis Chapman as well. I mean, he, he stamped his ticket by having a sky-high caper nine. He recorded a 17-and-a-half one year, I mean, in his age 26 season. Crazy. But this is telling me, I think, I, don't, I mean, I need to look at more closers, but I would guess that this trend is probably real, where you lock in a huge caper nine season or couple seasons, and then after that, you sort of figure out Maybe maybe how to become a little bit wilier. Yeah, this uh, the one that's interesting to me is the home runs per nine because mm-hmm. those are those are kind of big, and I think it means that I, I mean even like so Kimbrel and Jansen both have slightly higher uh, home runs per nine than Araldis. So watch out, he could have one of those years where he has a higher home run per nine, and that might you know not kill his fantasy value but kill kill him as an elite yeah it's it's interesting though that that he wasn't he didn't appear to be affected by wrigley just to tie this to our conversation from last week 
Um, he didn't appear to be. Yeah. Really, he didn't be, appear to be affected by pitching for the Cubs last year. At Wrigley Field, the known known pitchers park or known hitters park, excuse me. Um, but I thought we might see a clear dichotomy between Great American that we just saw, Yankee Stadium, and Wrigley. Well, those are three hitters parks. I know. So I think this is interesting as well. Not really sure what to make of the closer plots yet. We might have to share these with people and let um, let anyone else get some insight. And of course, the code is available. So you could very easily create this for any mixture of pitchers that you wanted at this point. No, I was going to say, I think that this is going to be useful in identifying... Well, I mean, this is really part of the, the proof of why you don't keep closers. <laughs> yeah. To me. That's not what I was setting out to prove, but uh, that that is a valuable thing. Valuable thing to note. I would say that you know this is all eventually getting folded into a pitching matchup analysis. I wanted to have some way to compare where pitchers were at in their career and try and find analogous guys. That's where this is going ultimately. But en route to that, we learned a little bit about how to suss out over the course of a career what the trajectory is and maybe found more warning flags than things to be excited about. Absolutely. Totally agree. All right, you ready to wrap this sucker up? I have to know, as a native New Englander, how you feel about Dunkin' Donuts thinking about trying to rebrand themselves. By going the brevity route and dropping the donut from Dunkin'? That's right. I'm... Oh... You know what? No, I'm not okay with that because that's supposed to be only people in New England get to call it that. And we're supposed to be the ones in the know that Duncan is just Duncan. But, they, but they've but they worked their advertising so hard over the past few years. You know, America runs on Duncan. Everything runs on Duncan. That's that's it. I mean, I've always thought it was funny that it's, a, you know, a donut shop. But it's like, I mean, they try to advertise their coffee. So they just, you know, they're really trying to get that line between... I guess, Krispy Kreme and Starbucks. Yeah, they've been flirting with that. And I think part of this is all about they've decided to cash, try and cash in their chips on the coffee side instead of the donut side. Mm, yeah, the Dunkins, what you dunk in. The last like 15 times that I've been to one, I have not seen anyone else order a donut. I religiously order donuts there. Yeah, no, I believe that the Dunkin' Donuts, the donut side are is better than the coffee. What's your go-to order then? Boston creams. Oh, there you go. Anyways, I feel like we're itching for a review session of food, and we'll have to hold off on the full donut holes conversation. But we were in the Cincinnati, and we uh, discovered and tried a uh, local delicacy along the Ohio River, which is Cincinnati chili. That's right. Can you describe that for our listeners who might not be aware of this delicacy? I have to say, I knew that something was going to be funky going in when we walked in and there was a guy just holding court with the 15-year-olds that were working there talking about the flavor profile of Cincinnati chili. And he said, no, no, I know that there are cloves in there. And I thought to myself, mm. what is this going to taste like if, he, if he's positive there are cloves in there? And there are cloves in there. There are cloves. There's some nutmeg. And I, I think I might have tasted some cinnamon. I think so, too. But the yeah. key is that it appears on a bed of chili. Oh, no. The chili appears on a bed of spaghetti. Yeah. And then 
it's covered with a nice duvet of uh, shredded cheese. Yeah, I didn't actually see that happening. I should have looked back in the open kitchen to see if they were frantically shredding the cheese, but that was it was quite pillowy. Yeah, I don't think it was done to order there. Oh, come on, man. Michael Peterson. <laughs> don't want to... Don't want to spoil your delusions of grandeur there, but uh, yeah, I don't think those fifteen-year-olds were um, shredding your cheese. Dang it! Wow. When you ordered it, I did like how that. I mean, you you pointed out that their kitchen was really just kind of an open area with like heating plates. <laughs> yeah, it was just one big steam table. Wow. They were just keeping everything hot until they slapped it all together. But really, okay, to get back to the main issue here, sp- spaghetti and chili are not two things that I have ever combined in my life spaghetti chili yellow cheese not parm like yellow cheese it was really something not cheddar i was not cheddar yellow yellow cheese i i'm not ashamed to say that i uh i really enjoyed it you enjoyed it it sort of filled me up in the way that i needed Mm. at that time so good point that may have been the oyster crackers (laughs) that we were popping like uh I don't know, a Southern Californian popping pills, but wow. That did kind of fill you up, right? I mean, carbs, nice and helpful, especially after our weekend. Oof. Chili, Oof. you know, and then the cheese to all slow it down, you know, in there. Yeah, and I had some I had some raw onions on mine. Really did it. Yeah, well, yeah I did the three-way chili. That was that was enough for my taste buds. But I, I got to say, I... I do not anticipate ever having that again. <sighs> All right. All right. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools. Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.